Good morning, brothers and sisters. As we move in and begin to get settled for our lesson, if we were still active duty, I'd be yelling at you guys. Let us begin with a prayer. Father, through our study of these minor prophets, we are reminded that living according to the flesh brings only separation from you and all the heartbreak and disaster that comes along with it. But living according to the Spirit, according to your word, brings no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus since we are free from the law of sin and death. We are thankful for the message of these prophets. And we know that Jesus gave us the prophets and their writings for our edification, for to prepare us for the work of ministry and for our unity in the faith. The same message repeated throughout the history of man. The same message, I pray that we are hearing from you today. Repent and return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And Father, we know that we have prayed much and prayed often. And you have heard our prayers for the situation in our own country and the world as together we struggle against the coronavirus and its variants. And now we add to these our prayers, petitions, and supplications for the souls of everyone involved in the situation in Afghanistan, for the safety and well-being of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, for the Afghan people. And we pray that Christians will find a way to influence even the Taliban. We pray for our leaders, both military and civilian, and the decisions that they make which affect people's lives so profoundly. We often find ourselves at a loss of words for just exactly what to pray. But in all things, Father, we pray that your will might be done. And we know that your will will be done. As our nation struggles through wildfires and droughts and extreme weather on the East Coast and all of the things that are affecting so many lives. Let us, Father, put our focus on the souls of men 
and on our responsibility to lead them to Christ, to lead them to you through Christ. Bless our study this morning, Father. Bless us with knowledge of this prophet Zechariah and his example in highlighting your love and compassion, your love of justice and compassion, and that we imitate these things in our lives, to be imitators of you as dear children. Bless our study, Father, that we might remember these things and study further and apply these good lessons to our lives. And thank you most of all for Jesus. In his name, amen. So in the beginning, in uh, the introduction for the quarter, uh, I even got here early to make sure everything would be ready. There you are. All right. Um, In the introduction to this course, uh, I talked about how... uh, I might take a little bit of a different approach to our study of the minor prophets than what uh, we were accustomed to from years past. Uh, when uh, when I've uh, studied, uh, seems like uh, every time I've studied the minor prophets, the primary focus throughout that study has been the fulfillment of their prophecies in the New Testament in our time, uh, which is not our focus this quarter. Uh, we we talked about how the prophets primarily had a, a, a contemporary message because they were the preachers of their time. They had a message for the people there and then. And uh, I get my, my uh, complicated man-made uh, theological words mixed up, but uh, it's either hermeneutics or exegesis or one of those or maybe both, I'm not sure. But, you know, we, we study the there and then, and then we, we compare it and contrast it and apply it to the here and now. So that, that's our focus. Uh, we look at the message that the prophets had as the preachers for the, uh, their time and the people of their time and what they were going through, and then try to apply that to our time since we, uh, like we've studied so many times in Ephesians 4, we're told that the prophets were, prophets were given to us to prepare us for the work of ministry. Uh, so it's important us to, for us to put some focus on that. Um, so the uh, the project of rebuilding the temple was huge. Um, and last week we closed uh, the lesson by talking about some of their struggles and the forces that, that uh, the obstacles and the opposition working against them. And we read in Ezra 4, 1 through 5, and then in verse 24 about how the surrounding people had volunteered to help them. Uh, that was uh, uh, not a genuine offer because there, it also says that there was a lot of activity going on to thwart uh, their building of the temple. But anyway, they faced this opposition from enemies that surrounded them and had for centuries. And so they're back. They have opposition from them and they had fear and they were discouraged and they stopped building the temple. So we had already studied the book of Haggai and now we're looking at Zechariah where the, the message from both of these prophets is, Roll up your sleeves, get to work, and build my temple. 
And then we also looked um, in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and Ephesians 2 and verse 19 and following where uh, it said in both of those books that you are the temple of the living God. And it's a work in progress. It says there you're being built. And we take great courage in knowing that we are being built together with the apostles and prophets. And then there was some discussion a couple of weeks ago about the building material. And I told you that when I was uh, 13 years old, I got a job uh, on a construction site moving uh, big rocks around so that the uh, stonemasons could put rock siding on these houses. Can't do that up here, I think because of earthquakes. But down in Texas, that's really popular, right? Uh, people like to have the stone siding on their houses, and so these, these stonemasons would come in and do that and make a, an old house look really nice. And so my job was to, to move the stones around as they worked around the house and uh, uh, to try to pick out the best stones and put them in front where they were easy to reach. And then I mixed up the cement and the wheelbarrows to put these things together and uh and whenever whenever i would mix that up wrong or or if it was too wet or too dry and wasn't just right uh so it was a rough learning curve for me working with those uh, some of these guys were pretty rough uh but the building material was pretty important because you know that uh uh all of it uh uh their reputation stood on that you know and so the building material for this temple, and it's also important to note too that, uh, that in both of those passages in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and then in Ephesians 2 and 19 and following where we, we looked at that temple, today's temple, which he says is you, was written to the church, the church in Corinth uh, and the church in Ephesus, telling the church that they, were being built up together along with the apostles and prophets with Jesus as a chief cornerstone. And so this uh, emphasizes the importance of our unity even more. Uh, and so I, I, I've heard people, uh, and I wanted to make sure you didn't think that I was talking about those from the perspective of he's talking about me as an individual, uh, but it's both. Uh, I'm being built up, but the church is being built up and the unity of the faith is so important and expressed there in Ephesians chapter 4 also along with the importance of the prophets and their lessons for us today. In Zechariah 4 and 6 we had seen where following the visions uh, or uh, in, in, uh, in that particular vision in verse 6 where he said not by might nor by power but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, this temple will be rebuilt. Um, so the biggest obstacle facing the church in Anchorage, Alaska today is not any of the things that you will hear or see on the news. It is apathy. And if you if you happen to miss Jay's lesson from last Sunday morning, I encourage you to go back. Uh, or even if you didn't miss it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that again. Take notes, study that, meditate upon those things, uh, because some some very important things, some very critical things that are very true, were addressed. And I, I want to uh, I don't want to say applaud, but I I want to thank Jay, Jay Lee very sincerely uh, for, because sometimes 
that's an unpopular position to take where correction is administered, but that is the best way to do it. Uh, it's called impersonal group time, where you tell it to everyone so that nobody feels singled out. But it is also necessary at times to single folks out. It's been necessary to single me out. Uh, and you, you have to appreciate from the perspective of God and his word the courage that it takes for a man to take that unpopular position and do that. So uh, go back and listen to that lesson. Our biggest obstacle is not external, it's internal. Jaylee preached on it last Sunday morning, apathy. It was an important and valuable lesson. Our project today is the same as theirs in Zechariah's time. Their project was build the temple. Our project today is build my temple. Build the temple. Roll up your sleeves, get to work. Build the temple. God's Spirit, uh, mentioned in Zechariah 4 and 6, and we also looked at where God's Spirit is mentioned several times throughout the New Testament and the encouragement to us and the admonishments to us. Same Spirit. Same Spirit from the beginning. Tony's been uh, talking uh, uh, quite a bit about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Spirit working to encourage and motivate us that, uh, and at times to rebuke us that uh, was at work with the people in Zechariah's time. God's Spirit is the Spirit of unity, of the Godhead. And if you read John 17 and many other passages, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 in particular, Ephesians 4, 12 and following, and Philippians 3, 16, et al. So, and many more passages throughout the New Testament that emphasize uh, our unity, our togetherness. That's where the word communion comes from. It means together. We do that together. We commune together with one another and with God uh, on the first day of the week when we participate in the Lord's Supper. And so this is why there's often so much emphasis on attendance. Uh, and uh, to some folks' ears, that's a bad word. They don't want to hear about attendance. Uh, but how do you even conceptualize uh, God's call for our unity without being here, being an active part of this family, and being involved and uh, uh, and wanting to, to do things with the family. So as we examine ourselves, and many times we look at 2 Corinthians 13.5 where it tells us, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith, and then it says, test yourselves, what does our unity look like? And the greatest benefit of, of having the opportunity to teach a class like this is that you get to examine yourself. Uh, and then you get to say the things that you know you need to hear, hoping that someone else will benefit from hearing those things as well. Uh, I, me first... I need to strengthen my commitment to our unity, to the unity of this Christian family, and work to overcome whatever obstacles are in place to strengthen that unity, remembering from Zechariah that not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The strength of God's spirit in me is the same as it was for them 
it comes from his word in my heart. So if I'm not, uh, that's, that's the foundation. That's where it begins. And God's word found its way into their hearts through these prophets. God's word find its way into my heart through God's word, which has been given to me, made available to me through the prophets, and then through all of those who've written for us in the New Testament. So as we examine ourselves, what does our unity look like? What is the state of it? And what is my contribution to our unity? So in Zechariah, uh, I wanted us to focus a little bit on the style of communication because uh, it's like I had read in this, uh, uh, this commentary. So the books of Zechariah and Haggai, which we studied a couple of weeks ago, have the same historical background both prophets had as their primary mission to motivate the returned exiles to complete the rebuilding of the temple. Um, mm-hmm. Where's that part where it says? There it is. Uh, they went about their task differently. Haggai approached the subject directly using plain language. Um, it is time to build God's temple. Roll up your sleeves, get to work. Then Zechariah presented, and remember they were contemporaries, the dates given during the, the second year of the reign of uh, Darius and so forth tell us that they were contemporaries uh, uh, preaching to the people at the same time. Zechariah presented the message less directly or indirectly with, uh, with less direct emphasis by uttering words of comfort. And we'd seen that in... Uh, chapter 1 and verse 13 of Zechariah where he said proclaim saying thus says the Lord of hosts verse 13 backing up and the Lord answered the angel who talked to me so the Lord answered the angel with good and comforting words so that's how the message of, of Zechariah is communicated with good and comforting words so a little less on the rebuke side a little more on the good and comforting word side, right? Um, although, uh, as we mature in Christ, we are able to to learn that even admonishment and rebuke is good and comforting if we obey, if it is effective if our attitudes don't become an obstacle to our obedience when we are admonished and rebuked. So that's something to think about. Uh, So here we're talking about uh, the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic communication. And these are attitudes coming from the people communicating. In these cases, they are the preachers for their people, uh, preaching the word of God, delivering it to the people, um, and they are leaders in this position as prophets. Uh, and uh, some of the some of the lessons that I've heard in the past when they get into discussions about the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic communication talk about football coaches and military leaders and even parents and their style of communication and and uh, and how to adjust that and adapt that style to the situation and the person you're dealing with. Uh, and uh, Shay Blackmer uh, loaned me a book. Maybe he gave it to me. I think maybe he gave it. I hope he gave it to me because I still have it. <laughs> But, you know, uh, he has some of my books, too, so, you know. Uh, 
games people play by a fellow named Eric Byrne, M.D., the, the basic handbook of transaction analysis. Uh, and so uh, he shared this book with me probably 15 years ago. And, uh, and this is really excellent material. You know, as Christians, we, we can find uh, things even outside of Scripture that, that help us in terms of self-improvement. Uh, and then really, if it works, then you go back and you study in your Bible and you're like, you know, it seems like the best ideas in this book kind of came from Scripture anyway. Because that's where all of man's best ideas come from. They come from God. So uh, there's the credit. Uh, and, and any faithful man would give the credit to God anyway if uh, he's done anything that's beneficial to people. And so in this book, Transaction Analysis, uh, basically says that, you know, we all have within us uh, a parent, an adult, and a child. These are ego states. So when I communicate with people, uh, that communication can be analyzed in both directions uh, and you, you think about the vocal qualities, the attitude, of course, but the rate, tone, pitch, volume, vocal inflection, these things. Uh, we go into these modes, right? Uh, parent, adult, and child. Uh, and it's important to, to think about that and to understand these things and know when the use of these modes of communication are appropriate. Uh, uh, probably very, very very rare that it might be appropriate for me and I'm looking around the audience here I don't see any small children probably going to be extremely rare that it would ever be appropriate for our communication me with you any one of you individually to become parent child right very rare not impossible not out of the question or unheard of but extremely rare uh, our best and most effective communication is going to be adult-adult, right? Um, and so anyway, uh, talking about the differences in the style of communication, remember we had looked at, uh, uh, we had briefly considered theory X and theory Y, uh, which are uh, also good things to consider. Just kind of a little refresher on that. <laughs> Got it right here. Okay. Now, this is from McGregor talking about the two theories, uh, schools of management. Theory X based on the assumption regarding the typical worker. This management, now remember, in Zechariah, we're talking about roll up your sleeves and get to work. And in the Anchorage Church of Christ in 2021, we're talking about roll up your sleeves and get to work. And I think we always are. Uh, the Theory X management style assumes that the typical worker has little ambition, avoids responsibility, and is individual goal-oriented. In general, Theory X style managers believe their employees are less intelligent, lazier, and work solely for a sustainable income. I'm not going to read any more of it. It's longer than that, but it's negative, right? And uh, so, so you kind of get the gist of it. And in Theory Y, when you flip that coin... Theory Y managers assume employees are internally motivated, enjoy their job, and work to better themselves without a direct reward in return. These managers view their employees as one of the most valuable assets to the company, driving the internal working of the corporation. Employees additionally tend to take full responsibility for their work and do not feel close supervision, do not need close supervision to create a quality product. Uh, so, 
the point that I want to make with this theory X and theory Y stuff is, uh, okay, let's focus on the leaders. Let's focus on, the, focus on the preacher and the deacon and the elders and their management style. How are they treating us? What is their attitude toward us? That's not, that's not where, what I'm trying to emphasize here. What I'm trying to emphasize here, because I am not an elder or a deacon or a preacher, is what behaviors do I need to exhibit to deserve the theory why management style to treat me like a person who is internally motivated, that I enjoy my work, that I work to better myself without a direct reward in return, and that they can view me as one of the most valuable assets assets to the company, driving the internal workings, uh, so forth and so on. So what is my responsibility? It's just like when we studied Ephesians chapter 4, um, we said that uh, God gave, and it has a list of what what uh, what Jesus gave. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, elders, preachers, so forth and so on. He gave those, and so we often look at that scripture and we zero in on those guys that have those responsibilities and those roles, but we don't consider our responsibility to them, which is our responsibility to God, Right? Uh, and remember there in Ephesians 4, it wasn't uh, Paul's uh, intention to the church in Ephesus that those given by Jesus, uh, the apostles, preachers, uh, teachers, elders, and so forth, that they do all the work, right? Um, but he gave them for our equipping, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for our edification. So... Uh, Zechariah was not as direct as Haggai and used words of comfort and symbolic language in the night visions that we talked about last week to encourage the people to build the temple. And you remember that we went, went through those night visions and we talked about what the vision was, which was really complicated and difficult for me to understand even after I read about it in the commentary. I was like, what? Three horses? What are you talking about? Uh, I mean, I understand three horses, and I understand red horses and things like this. I just, it's difficult for me to, to understand how it ended up meaning this thing, right? So uh, I focused on what it meant. And then we went through that list of what the prophecies meant and saw how encouraging and comforting they were. So last week we talked about the night visions, and just after that, near the end of chapter 6 uh, in Zechariah, near the chap- end of chapter 6, uh, Zechariah reflects on a custom of their time. When there was a great accomplishment, a crown was placed on the head of the high priest, and then it was removed and placed in the temple uh, as a memorial, is what it says here. In verse 14, it says, Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. For And then this list of people who uh, God worked through to accomplish this thing. And then down in verses 14 and 15, we, we find uh, their key to success. Because throughout the Bible, we find blessings, and then there's an if. Or the if may come before the blessing, but there's an if. If you do this, you will be blessed beyond measure. But if you don't, horrible things may happen, Right? And then this is no exception, because here I'll start with verse 14, where it says, Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord for Helam, Tobijah, Jedidiah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah, 
Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Now, now here we go. Now, here we go. We're getting to work. We're starting to accomplish the mission. Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if. This shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So the success of the mission in Zechariah and in every book of the prophets was contingent upon if you diligently, some versions say completely, obey the voice of the Lord your God. And we must think about what that means to us today. Building God's temple then required obedience and hard work. Building God's temple now that we read about in Corinthians and Ephesians, or uh, yeah, requires obedience and hard work. No difference. Same scenario, uh, same opportunity to communicate in the different ways that we're, as we're given examples in scripture, to motivate and encourage. Same opportunity to roll up our sleeves and get to work if we diligently obey the word of the Lord your God. And that's why I said it all begins with that foundation, with having the word of God in your heart. And my mind just always keeps going back to John fifteen fifteen, where it says, you're no longer slaves, but uh, you are friends. Jesus said, I call you friends now because uh, you know the things that I've taught you. The only way for us to, you know, remember... Uh, an unread Bible on the shelf is not God's word in your heart, right? So don't confuse that. I own a Bible. It's on the shelf. I carry it to church, take it home. But if I'm not putting it into my heart, then I will never have that foundation that we've talked about so often. So let's look at First Samuel chapter 15. Man, how time flies. I'm going to have to pull off a, an amazing accomplishment myself next week to wrap up the minor prophets in the time given so uh first samuel chapter 15 then you you can put one of my hats somewhere as a memorial (laughs) first samuel chapter 15 um beginning with verse one samuel also said to saul the lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over israel now therefore heed the voice of the words of the lord that sounds important right heed thus says the lord of hosts i will punish amalek for what he did to israel how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from egypt now go and attack amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them but kill both man and woman infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tulane, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah and so forth and so on. Let's let's jump down to verse 7 where it says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, this next verse here, verse 9, begins with the word but. That usually means trouble. So let's see what happened. 
But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, the prophet, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, and he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And then down in verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal, to the Lord your God. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And remember, the voice of the Lord comes to us through his word now. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness, or some versions say insubordination. A word that I am very well familiar with having served in the military for a while. And stubbornness or insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So, to obey is better than sacrifice. And we know that. Saul disobeyed. Although it is more difficult for some than others... At various stages in your life, maybe depending upon what's going on, your development level, your uh, uh, you look at a church and uh, people in it, you, you see varying degrees of maturity. Um, obedience to God and his word pays rich dividends. Obedience requires discipline. Both of these, obedience and discipline, require us to be united together and that is a concept worth much study on the part of each of us individually our unity our togetherness Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 says uh, says there to walk circumspectly and uh, you're familiar with that word from scripture to walk we are to walk circumspectly which means uh, I looked up the Bible meaning it means to find the clear line of right and then keep to it strictly to get in line, uh, and my military mind uh, goes to the concept of a formation, to get in formation. Uh, if you, uh, and I've done this, uh, if you approach a group of people standing around kind of in a, in a disorganized crowd and you yell, fall in, you will be very impressed if they've been trained on what to do at that point. Uh, at the Barksdale Academy, uh, we had... Um, uh, the average class size was 160 students, 
and then we commanded these tech sergeants uh, to go out. They were ordered to go out on uh, the drill pad, which didn't even look like a drill pad. It was a giant parking lot. Uh, and these are tech sergeants. They hadn't done this formation stuff in a while, probably most of them. <laughs> and so uh, we would tell them, okay, next you're going to go out on a drill pad. And we would leave them out there alone, no instructors, no commandant. And we'd leave them there for a few minutes just for them to get comfortable and stand around and talking and everything. And then one of us would march out at attention, halt, and yell, fall in. And it was a mess. And then whichever one of us instructors got to do it that time, because it was the first time for that class to experience this in their six-week in-residence course, we would just stand there at attention, looking straight ahead, waiting. And then eventually, after a long time, they would be in something and stop moving, and it was a mess. And then we would retrain them for six weeks on how to respond to that command. But God wants us to fall in. Through his word, he's training us to get into that formation. Through the good lessons that come from the pulpit in this church, he's training us to walk circumspectly. And we need to heed and obey what he is providing for us. Because Ephesians 4 there tells us that teachers, elders, preachers were given to us for that purpose. In Zechariah chapter 7, some important questions were asked. Uh, down in verse 3, it said, should we, should we fast? Actually, it says, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Um, you know, I think it's James chapter 3 or James chapter 4, and Jaylee has mentioned this recently, where with regard to our own sins, we are, we are told to weep, mourn, and wail. That's why you go in your closet to pray. Um, even the example that we had seen with Daniel in Daniel chapter 8 or chapter 9 and verse 20, somewhere there where uh, when Daniel prayed down on his hands and knees, he first addressed his own sins, then he addressed the sins of his people, then he offered God his prayers, petitions, supplications. My sin first and weep, mourn, and wail. That's why you go into your closet to pray. When was the last time you cried about your sin? Your sin. Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? I think, uh, you know, we store up treasure on earth by bragging about things. Uh, we store up treasure in heaven by doing things and not bragging about them, right? Uh, and I think that when we fast and brag about it, we kind of undo the treasure in heaven. But he tells him, you know, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I've done for so many years? And then down in verse 5, or 4, it said, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? And when I fast and boast about it, am I really fasting for him? And not just fasting. I'm using fast as a kind of a catch-all for, uh, for good works, right? And in verse 6, he says, When you eat and when you drink, do, not, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed 
through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities. And then looking here at verse 6 where it says, When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul was addressing a specific problem in the church where everyone was being selfish. Uh, they were not thinking about others. They, they were not thinking about their unity that we've been talking about. Uh, but they were being selfish, thinking about themselves and leaving some people's needs unmet, showing a lack of justice, a lack of compassion, and all of those things that God loves so much. And so Paul used as an example there the communion, which, remember, the word at its root means together. It's talking about unity. Um, and uh, we often use that scripture, we read it before we participate in the Lord's Supper to talk about ourselves and examining ourselves so that we're not partaking of the Lord's Supper without considering the body like it tells us to do there. And in verse 9, very important, basically he's telling them how to govern themselves. Remember, this is Zechariah sharing the word of God, communicating the word of God to the people. And he says, he's telling them how to govern themselves. Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. So there's the best advice in the world for how to govern yourself. Um, But what about our nation? So in chapters 8 through 14, uh, these chapters go on to explain that the nation will be cared for by the living God, by their God, as explained through the prophet. Um, so there, there is mention, uh, and, and I'll just go to the lessons here, uh, and then we'll look at one more thing next week. So lessons from the book of Zechariah. Consider this. Inspirational forms of motivation are often more effective than trying to guilt, shame, or gripe someone into action. Inspirational forms of motivation. In Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, it was said, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Second thing, uh, lesson from Zechariah, to accomplish anything for God's glory, all things must be done with complete and diligent obedience to him. We saw that in verse chapter 6 and verse 15. Thereby, by the power of his spirit. Same thing. Complete obedience to God by the power of his spirit. Chapter 4 and verse 6. And then the final lesson, in all things, God's will be done. In all things, God's will will be done. Uh, thank you for your attention this morning, and uh, we'll wrap it up probably two minutes early, uh, and uh, I'll talk to you again next week.